0: is all about, being redeemed. Boys and girls, if y'all want to head downstairs for Children's Church, you know, I love that song. Of course, I love a lot of songs. You hear me say that a lot, but I really like that song because it's a picture of what's supposed to be happening in our lives. You know, whether you're here, whether you're watching us online, whether you listen to the podcast or whatever, you know, you should, as a Christian, thank God that you're not who you used to be. You know, we all are struggling to become who He wants us to be. Now, I don't know about you. Some of y'all are real spiritual and y'all are y'all got it together. And so y'all's is kind of like a constant movement towards being who God wants you to be. I hadn't made it that far yet. I'm kind of like two steps forward, three steps back, trip to the side. Keep, But as long as you what? We're getting up and we're moving forward in this process of redemption. Now, it starts whenever we accept the Lord Jesus Christ and we place our faith and trust in Him. We're baptized into His family. But then we got to try to what? we got to try to figure out how to engage in this process of daily, weekly, hourly, monthly, yearly redemption. And so we do that by coming together, refocusing at a place of worship. That happens as we listen to things, we pray, we read our scriptures, all of these things. And one of the things that we're going to do today is we're going to ask God to help us understand his word so that we can engage in this redemptive process. And we're going to be looking today at James chapter 3. There's a description here about wisdom. And we've talked, you remember the series that we started the year with was wisdom. And I hope that many of you are continuing on daily reading a proverb. So often, man, so many times, God speaks to me through that, and so we need His wisdom. But His wisdom is not the only quote-unquote wisdom that there is in the world, right? There are plenty of people who think they are wise. There's lots of information, lots of knowledge. And James apparently is dealing with some folks that he's writing to who feel like they have their own sort of wisdom as opposed to the wisdom that comes from God. And this is important, so we're going to see today some of the descriptions of two different kinds of wisdom. And and I think that this is also apparent in our world today. And I want you to look at what he talks about right here in James chapter 3. He starts in verse 13, and he does a little bit of kind of introduction, if you will, to who he's talking to. He says, If you are wise and understand God's ways... Now, we know if he says, if you are wise, if you understand God's ways, he's communicating to someone who's saying that they are, all right? And it's very important to remember that just because you say that you are, doesn't necessarily mean that you are. There's a lot of people who say a lot of things, but that doesn't necessarily make it true just because you say it, all right? And so we we have to read in there that he's speaking to someone, he says, so if you are wise... And you understand God's ways. Look what he says. And we talked about this last week. He says, prove it by living an honorable life, doing good works with the humility that comes from wisdom. So we understand here he's talking to some people who feel like they're making that claim. And so he's going to use this as an opportunity to teach all of us some things. He says, if you are wise, if you understand God's ways, which is what wisdom is. Wisdom is walking and understanding in God's ways. Now, it's important to remember what the Bible tells us, and I'm not going to pull these up, but multiple places, specifically over in Isaiah, the Bible says that God's ways are not your ways. They're higher, they're different. And that's important because there's oftentimes whenever you see a really good way and your way makes a lot of sense for you, but that doesn't necessarily mean that it's God's way. Just because there is a majority of people that think a way is the right way or that there's something that seems productive or whatever, that doesn't necessarily mean that it's God's ways. We have to go to the source of truth if we want to understand God's ways. And if you say that you're wise, if you say that you understand God's ways, which is what we're trying to do as Christians, right, trying to make wise choices, we understand that to know God, we have to come to him through Jesus Christ. If we say that these are the things that are important to us, which on some level, just the fact that you're here, you're saying that. Like, if you, were, if you just thought this was all nonsense, you wouldn't even be here, okay? You wouldn't be watching this online or listening to it. So, in, so on some level, you're saying, okay, I value understanding what God wants me to do. I may not be as far as him or her or whatever, but I, I value it. So if that's true... What does he say? He says, then prove it. That's where it matters, right? He says, prove it. Don't just do what? Don't just say it. Too many people want to say it. Too many people want to post it. Too many people want to wish it, hope it, argue it, sell it, buy it. All these things are good, but guess what? What he says is if you want to live for God and you want to be wise, then prove it. Just let it let it come out of your life. How do you do that? Look what he says right here. He gives us some answers to it. But before we do, I'm going to give you some of your little English lesson. I know some people like it when I do that, so I'm going to have to do that, okay? Have any of you ever heard the statement, the proof is in the pudding? Now, if you run around Bob Miller very much, he's got all these sayings, okay? He's kind of like my dad. He's got these sayings that I never understood. My dad would say them, but I never understood them. Like, my dad would say, that fits like socks on a rooster. And I never understood, does that mean it really fits? Because I didn't, you know, so there's all these sayings that you hear when you listen to old-timers okay and so we have these sayings, but we have a saying like this the proof is in the pudding and I'll be honest when I heard people I know what that means but when I hear it I'm like what does that mean what what proof is in the pudding I mean I don't I don't get that I mean we know what it means but what does it mean so I'm fixing to give you a little lesson because I did a little research on this all right all right so it actually comes from an original statement that said the proof of the pudding (laughs) is in the eating, which developed to the proof of the pudding. Now, there's one little factor that we all lost. I didn't know. You may have known. Some of you may be more intelligent than I am. So the word pudding, we think of it like what? This sweet dessert. Some of you know I make the best bread pudding. I'm not saying that I do. That's just what I hear. That I make some of the best bread pudding. No, I'm just kidding. So we think of pudding as this sweet dessert. Well, the statement actually comes from the Old English word, and pudding in Old English wasn't a sweet dessert. It was what we would think of as like a sausage, all right? So pudding was the casing of an animal, the intestinal casing. They would case minced meat in this like sausage, okay? And so it had a very literal meaning that, look, people would sell this sausage that was either cooked or it was smoked, And pre-refrigeration, pre-curing, guess what? There's a lot of treacherous, bad things that could be in minced meat stuffed in animal intestines. So the statement developed that the proof of the pudding was in the eating. So that, you know, you could have this sausage, this minced meat casing, and it looked really, really good, but you wouldn't know for sure if it was good until you opened it up or until you tasted it. And so it just kind of translated. And so now you know. You can walk away today at the very least and say, I learned something about Old English words. But I want you to think about that a minute. There's a lot of truth to that when you really understand it. I mean, a piece of this pudding, this sausage, could look really good, look like it's fantastic. But you don't know what's really in it till you do what? Till you taste it, till you open it up, till you really see what's inside. And I'm going to tell you what, there's a lot of people. That look good on the outside. They go to the right places at the right times. But whenever you actually experience their life and what's happening, things aren't as they seem. And it's so important for us to prove that we follow God, prove in a sense that what is inside of us is real. Okay? Now, how do I prove it? I mean, look, so he says, how do you prove? that you have God in your life, that you're living for God, all right? By what? Look what he says right here. By living an honorable life, doing good works with the humility that comes from wisdom. Two ways that you can prove that you understand God's ways and that you have wisdom. Live an honorable life. Now you think about honorable. What does that mean? Honor. Something worthy of respect. Do you live in an honorable way? Hey, you want to say you're a Christian... Live honorably. Living honorably is tough, right? It's easy to people who treat you with honor. It's not so easy to be honorable to those who may not deserve it. It's easy at church. It's not so easy when you get out of church, when you're dealing in everyday circumstances. But if you want to prove that you really understand God's ways, live in an honorable way. And that's why we try to understand what does that mean. And he's going to describe some of those things. But that's not the only way. Live honorably and look. Do good works with humility. That's why we talked about that. That's why he says, look, part of proving that you're a real genuine follower of God is that you do good things. And he adds there that you do them for the right reason. Now, if you, if you do a lot of good things so that people go what? You're awesome. <laughs> what'd you do? You messed up. You know, that's not the the motivation. You got to do good things from a place of humility. For instance, so many of you took the boxes last week. Fantastic. Okay. I mean, a lot of people took those boxes, which are going to really cost something. And we're going to fill those boxes up full of food. And we're going to use those in a way to, to serve and show people the love of Christ in the fostering community. All right. And so that's a fantastic thing. That's a good work. And if you did that, fantastic. And if you had not done it yet and you want to do it, great on you. But if you go get two of them and you're like, well, I'm getting two boxes today ain't a couple left, I'll get those. Make sure I get them. That's not coming from what? The right place. And that's an exaggeration. But if our motivation for doing good things comes from something that we're going to recognize. Now, you want to know Very quickly, is how you can tell if it's coming from the right place, is do something good. Do a good work, all right? And then let somebody else get the credit for it. And if you're like, wait a minute, I did that. That's how you know. Because if it comes from the right place, and it's truly something that you're doing Not for recognition, but for the greater good and for God. You don't care who gets the credit. And that's a tough one because we live in a world where we all want credit. Look, we want to take credit and give blame. Notice that's opposite of God's way. God does what? He gives credit. He takes blame. That's what we can see whenever we understand doing good works from the right kind of place now as he talks about these good works he's going to give some descriptions because you know it's challenging to understand what we're talking about here so he describes the first kind of wisdom which is not really what we're after but how he describes it in verses 14 through 16 he says but if you're bitterly jealous and there's selfish ambition in your heart don't cover up the truth with boasting and lying for jealousy and selfishness are not God's kind of wisdom Such things are earthly, unspiritual, and demonic. For wherever there is jealousy and selfish ambition, there you will find disorder, and evil of every kind. So he gives nine descriptions here of what we're going to call man's wisdom. Now let me say this: we, you know, when we say wisdom, the two kinds of wisdom there are, and in this particular text, there's, we're going to look at man's wisdom versus God's wisdom. But many of the things overlap. It's kind of like, and it's not. Don't don't come to me later and go, you did this. Don't you did do, you equated with drugs with wisdom? It's like drugs, okay? All right, drugs are a good thing if you're sick. I mean, we've seen people who have been miraculously healed and recovered by certain types of drugs that were used in the right way for the right reason by the right people and what? Applied correctly. But we've also seen people who've what? Literally destroyed their life because of drugs. All right? Now, there are some of the same components in life-saving, life-giving, positive medical narcotics. There's also a lot of terrible things that are out there in this world. Wisdom is similar in this sense. Godly wisdom and man's wisdom have many of the same components, but if they're not applied in the right ways, you get either really positive benefits or you get negative benefits. Now, some might say, well, if, well if when you talk about applying certain things, you know, there's some people who really benefit from drugs, illegal drugs. They make pockets full of cash. They get influence, but that doesn't necessarily make it a good thing. And I'll tell you this, there are a lot of people who apply a lot of man's wisdom, and it brings them pockets full of cash and lots of things that people on the outside go, wow, but it doesn't necessarily make it a good thing. So when we talk about two kinds of wisdom, the first one here, man's wisdom, is there are some, some components of it that are very similar, but they have very different results. And look what he describes here about man's wisdom. He says, number one, it's earthly. It comes from within. Now, you got to be careful here because we live on the earth. When God created the earth, you know what he said? Man, this is good. It's a, the earth is a great place. I don't know of any place better myself. So it's not that the earth is a bad place, okay? But when you think about it, it's not where God originates from. It's what where we are. And so it's, it's fallen. It's broken. And man's wisdom comes from within within us. Number two, man's wisdom is unspiritual. It doesn't think about the spiritual dimension. And this can easily happen because if you go read through Proverbs, you read through lots of the Bible, there's a very practical application that's usually physical and it's contained in earthly things. But you know it's not of God when it doesn't address any of the spiritual component. And many people Are extremely wise in terms of knowledge and understanding but they're missing the spiritual component and this takes away from the fact that it's true true wisdom from God now the third one he gives a description there's interesting he calls it even demonic which is basically from a different realm of not from God it's from the other side of things and we see that oftentimes number four look what it produces Man's wisdom produces bitterness, jealousy, selfish ambition. And selfish ambition is not just kind of the natural drive and work ethic. and no, It's, it's all about me. What am I getting from this? Look, if, if you are looking at your life and everything is about you, what can I get? If there's bitterness that's being produced, if there's jealousy, you're not on the path that God has for you. You're on some other path, and you're definitely not embracing his wisdom. Number seven, he talks about there, they cover it up, always trying to hide. If you're always trying to hide everything that's going on and, and, and not letting people see inside, the, behind the curtain, if you will, this is man's wisdom. Eight, always boasting. Number nine, lying. So these nine descriptions are what characterize the wrong kind of wisdom. Now we know that James is writing to religious people. All right, So who are Christians? So this is something that they're struggling with. And they're, they're trying to figure out possibly how to differentiate between those who are legitimately Christian and those who are not. But probably as much as anything, the things they're wrestling in with themselves. Just like you and I, we all wrestle with this. I mean we battle to instead of look to what's beyond us worry about ourselves i mean we have bitterness when things don't go our way when things don't happen the way we would like i mean it's very easy to be bitter it's very easy to get jealous when we see something happening to someone else when we wish it was happening to us all of these things i mean certainly most of our society tells us what go get what's yours i mean go 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 get it it's yours to get and they'll come up with all these sound reasons that sound good but guess what that's not god's wisdom I mean, Jesus could have got everything for himself, but what he do? He gave everything for others. So we see that man's wisdom is all around us. It's within us. We're struggling to figure it out, right? How do we not seek this in our role of trying to be who God wants us to be? These are the things that he says, hey, this isn't what you're after. So what are you supposed to go after? Well, here's the positive. He gives us those. In James chapter 3, verse 17 and 18, he says what? He says, But the wisdom from above is first of all pure. It's also peace-loving, gentle at all times, and willing to yield to others. It's full of mercy and the fruit of good deeds. It shows no favoritism and it is always sincere. And those who are peacemakers will plant seeds of peace and reap a harvest of righteousness. So right here, He describes what it really looks like to have God's wisdom, true understanding of God as a part of your life. And look what he says. He gives nine things here. He says God's wisdom, first of all, it's heavenly. It's coming from somewhere different than within. And this is why it's so important, is if you want to really move towards what God wants you to do, you have to look to the source that's coming from him and not from you. Are what's in the earth and from everybody else around you. Now, sometimes the people around you are conduits for the wisdom that comes from there, but oftentimes they're not. And so you've got to be able to understand what is really true, all right? But God's wisdom comes from a different place other than within. It comes from him, all right? The second thing is God's wisdom is pure. I mean, it's the real deal. So if, you're, if you have an understanding of who is, you're going to be the real deal. It's going to be something that's, that's real. It's not fake. All right? Third, God's wisdom produces what? People who are peace-loving. You realize that if you're applying God's wisdom, you're not going to be always looking for conflict. Always creating conflict in yourself and in other people. You're going to want to embrace peace. That's why Jesus said what? Blessed are who? The peacemakers. See, God wants peace. That whole idea of redemption is the fact that God is wanting people, human beings, to come into peace with him. All right? God loves peace. And, you know, you do too. I mean, you, who really likes conflict? I mean, peace is a great thing. And if the closer we get to God, the more we strive for peace. Number four. God's wisdom produces what, gentleness. And I struggle with this, right? Because you know, in my life, I grew up in a world, and I'm thankful for the world I grew up in, and I, there's so many things good about it. But every department of my life was not wasn't always gentle. You know what I'm saying? And I think we've swung the pendulum too far. Everybody wants to you know coddle and all that, and that's not what I'm talking about. I'm just talking about just just gentleness, firmness, but not harshness with your kids I find myself falling sometimes into negative patterns because what we we tend think the harsher we talk what the 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 more we're going to communicate that's not always true no God's wisdom produces gentleness now that doesn't mean that it's not firm that doesn't mean that we back away from the truth but the more like God we become the more gentle we are number five Considerate. One particular theologian says this Greek word is the hardest Greek word in the New Testament to translate. It's translated considerate, reasonable. And what it means is that you're willing to look at a situation, all right, and apply your judgment appropriately. So, for instance, you're considerate of what other people are going through. You're considerate of the environment that they're in, that you're in. You're reasonable to to what's going on, and it's opposed to being rigid. And this is very important because the, the main arch enemy of Jesus when he was here on the earth was who? The Pharisees. They were very, very rigid. They believed you had to apply everything a certain way no matter what. That's not the way God is. There's absolute truth, but guess what? you got to consider what's going on. you got to consider the environment. Those of you who have been involved in negotiations of any kind, oftentimes there's a word that's put on those documents. It says what? In consideration or considerations, right? And so that means that, look, you're going to look at what's going on and you're going to figure out what's really the best path in light of all the things that are going on. See, that's what godly people do. They don't rush to judgment. They don't just make decisions based on anything. They consider other people's feelings. They consider what God thinks about it. They consider what's going on in this environment. And then they act appropriately. Now, I don't know that this particular passage is saying this, but I have to say this here, is I see a sense in this world today that people are uncomfortable telling others that they're not ready to make a decision yet. You see, consideration has within it this context that you don't have to make a decision now. See, people want to push you to make a decision right then. Whether they're selling you something, whether they're trying to get you to buy something, whether they're trying to get you to do something, agree to something. And it's okay for you to say, I need to take all of this into consideration. Because usually when people are trying to push you to make a decision it's to their benefit. They've created a situation and an environment where, where they've led you to this place. A wise person takes all of this under consideration and maybe doesn't make a decision right then. And I have found, just as a point of note, that if someone's pushing you to make some sort of decision and you, and you lose out, you didn't miss out on much. Just consider all your options first. Don't let them push you. And you don't push other people. See, part of being considerate is you allow them that same freedom. Look, if you're a stronger personality, a better communicator, stronger emotionally, and you wield that influence over people to get them to do what you want, you you weren't considerate. And see, we all do it, right? Because we want our way. I mean, we want people to bend to our way. This is what we do. And if we do that, we're not being considerate. And so we have to, I mean, I hate to use this word, but self-regulate our own skills sometimes so that we can do the right thing. Just because you can do it and get away with it doesn't make it right. We tell our kids that. But then we do it in our business life, in our family life, in our relationships, and that's not godly wisdom. See, consideration of others is much bigger then just being nice it encompasses a lot more. A huge part of it builds on that to number six. Godly wisdom produces people who are full of mercy. They're merciful. And do you want people to get what they, what they deserve? Be honest. When they do you wrong, you want them to get it, don't you? That's how I feel sometimes. I mean, they did that to me. They ought to get what they deserve. They're getting just what they deserve. You ever find yourself thinking that, saying that a lot? Be cautious because the closer we come to God, the more merciful we become. There's a lot of stories Jesus told about the people who received tremendous mercy but then didn't want to offer it to other people. And listen, if you're here today and you've ever been baptized in this water or some water somewhere and you claim to have received forgiveness offered on that cross, the mercy you've been given far outstrips the wrong that anyone has done to you. Now, that doesn't mean continue to let them just do wrong. That doesn't mean say that what they did was wrong, is right. It doesn't mean ignore it. No, I'm not saying all that. I'm just saying offer people mercy. The hope that what? They can be redeemed. See, I've met many people in this life, in my world of church and different things, And you know, some people reject God and have left their church, whatever that church is. Multiple people have told me this because I always ask them, well, you tell me a little bit about that. Why don't you go to church or why did you leave that? And you know, over the years, multiple people have told me, well, there's people at that church and I know what they do or what they've done. And I'm just thinking to myself, wow. So when you go to church, your focus is on what all the other people have done. And all the bad things that they've done and who they're pretending to be. And look, they'll, they'll give you all sorts of reasons and descriptions to a T of the bad things that the other people did. And how could they do this? And they're such a hypocrite. And I mean, they'll go on and on. And, and all I'm thinking all the while is, wow. Man, when I go to church, when I come here, when I go to a church, when we go on vacation, the last thing on my mind is what all of y'all have done. The only thing I'm thinking about when I'm sitting right down here, sometimes tears roll down my eye, is what I've done and how thankful I am for what he did. So if if you're sitting there ever and you're worried about what he did or what she did or what they did, look, stop. Look at yourself and realize what you did and then Thank God for what he did and let me tell you what. You you'll be amazed at how much more peaceful your life will be when you quit worrying about what everybody else has done. And then you'll have it in your heart to say, "You know what? That's not for me to judge." I'm just going to keep working on becoming who I need to be and if I can help them become who they need to be and God wants to use me great but you may not be that may not be your role but that's where mercy flows out of it flows out of receiving mercy. Some people tragically I have met not I ain't gonna say a bunch but I've met a couple who absolutely and they told me this They they refused to receive the mercy and forgiveness of God because they felt like it was wrong that God would forgive somebody else for what terrible thing they had done. I'm not joking. They were so upset, so frustrated, and so appalled by the evil of someone else or whatever they did, and I don't even remember what the evil was, but I'm sure it was real. But the fact that, that my God would forgive them, they literally told me that's not a God I want anything to do with. I, I never forget it. It's like, whoa. Whew. Mercy's important. Unforgiveness and bitterness is like a cancer that will eat you up, man. Number seven, what does it produce? I like this one. When you have God's wisdom in your life, you become fruitful. The fruit of good deeds. Look, fruitfulness is what means that you're producing something positive. Look, if you're if you're living for God, there's going to be really good fruit that's coming from your life. Now, you're going to be perfect, absolutely not, but positive, productive things will come from your life. Is your life positive? Is it productive? Are people getting benefits from the things that you do? So many look and look. Don't sell yourself short. Man, I've seen some of you do some wonderful things and you're really fruitful. You do a great job in your work. I've had people who work in their secular job and I see them do their work and they do a good job. They're very courteous. They, they're very straightforward. They do a good job. They're polite. Well, guess what? That's fruitfulness. Many of you are teachers. Every day you go in there and you're lifting up little children and man, you're giving them a hug and you're telling them that, that, that they're, they're, they're wonderful and you're trying to help them. Guess what? Those are positive, fruitful things. And the more of those things you do, the more of God's wisdom you're applying to your life. Whatever your role is. As a Christian, you're supposed to be fruitful. Look, Jesus spoke a lot about people who didn't produce anything. I mean, he used some pretty rough analogy. Cut it down, throw it out. It's not good for anything. Like, guess what? If you're a Christian, you're supposed to produce something positive. And that production, that fruit, could be monetary things. Many of you have given tremendous ways, and we've built churches in other places. We've, you know, you've spent money on these things for the foster care kids. Some of you give your time. These are all fruitful things. That's what you're supposed to do. Are you producing at a rate that you're satisfied with is the question. Really, you have to ask yourself. That's what I ask myself. Now, don't Park a minute. Don't don't worry about everybody else's production. worry about your production. Because to whom much is given, what? Much is required. See, if you try to measure your production based on someone else's production, right there, you're off. Because they may not be called to produce in the same quantities in the same way as you are in the same thing. You have to answer for your level of production. And you and I both know that we... We aren't always as productive as we should be, right? And this world is not helping us because there's like eight million things that take our time. How easy is it to watch something we don't need to waste 30 minutes watching, an hour watching? How many times, how much, how many things are vying for all of this attention that basically do what? Eliminate our productivity in so many different ways for God. But when we follow God, we're going to be fruitful and productive. Number eight, God's wisdom is impartial. It doesn't show favoritism. And this is hard. We're creatures who live in the world and we naturally want to show partiality to people. We've looked at this enough. We don't have to talk about it. He gave a whole chapter on this. We're not supposed to play favorites. We're supposed to treat people fairly. Number nine, godly people who apply his wisdom are very sincere. Man, you know, if there's one thing I can't stand as a fake, I really don't like it. That's one of the things, And 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 I have to remind myself to be merciful because in some level we're all fake, right? None of us live up to all of our own expectations and declarations. So we can't judge others. But look, one of the things that we should strive for is there are people who are more sincere than others. Look, be sincere. Be honest. Sincerely work towards becoming who God wants you to be. You know, James describes these nine things, nine descriptions of the wrong application of wisdom and what it leads to. And then he gives nine descriptions of what it's supposed to lead to. And so when you look at that, I guess a couple of questions come to mind and then we'll close. Maybe you ask yourself this, what is my life proving? And to go back to the whole analogy of the, you know, proofs in the pudding and it being the sausage. I mean, when, when you take your life, what's it proven? Like, your your life as a human being, which is very multifaceted. You've got a professional life. You've got a, a family life. You've got a business life. You've got emotional life. You've got all these things, and these things all make up your life, all right? What is that life proving to others? Is it proving to others the goodness of God, the forgiveness of Jesus, the community of believers who help one another. What what proof is in your life? Now, I know this is an analogy, but don't, lose, don't let me lose you here. If if you break your life open like they broke that casing and that sausage, what's in there? When other people experience you, like they talk about the taste, when you taste that, you know whether it's good or bad. Whenever they experience you out there, what is it proving? Is it proving that your faith in Christ is sincere? Or is it maybe proving something else? Maybe another way to ask it would be, what is my life producing? When you take the sum total of what you're doing with your life, what is the product of that? Is it something you're proud of? Is it something that you want to continue? And the reason I ask you that is because here's what you can know for certain. If you're happy and satisfied with what your life is proving right now, with what it's producing, just keep doing it. You don't have to worry about it. just Just keep doing what you're doing and that's what it'll be. And look, some of you... I would 100% say just keep doing what you're doing because it's awesome. I see wonderful products from your life. I do, man. You've proven to me by the the things that you've shown me and what you've done and what you and and those are fantastic things. Just keep doing those things. But maybe there's something that you're not real real proud of. That you're man. I, I don't. I'm not. I'm not a. That's not. People aren't experiencing all those other really good things in my life in this area or in this way. Well, in that regard, don't just keep doing what you're doing. Because if you keep doing it, guess what? It's going to keep happening. So so now it really comes back to the real point of all of this to me is, all right, if there are some things I need to adjust and change, which if I'm honest, there's always those things. What do I do about it? Well, i got to change some things. And that change starts by saying, God, forgive me for filling the blank. Simple as that. That's the start. God, I need you to forgive me for this. I need you to forgive me for that. And I need to work towards this. And then guess what? Now you start adjusting so that your life produces more of those things that James described pure, peace-loving, gentle, considerate, merciful, fruitful, impartial, sincere. I don't know. We all have an inclination like we're struggling with one more than the other. Figure out what those things are that God wants to do because ultimately, if this means anything, and I believe it does, I believe it means everything. I believe that when we get to the end of this life, I believe that what we did here is going to dramatically affect what happens there. So I think it means everything. And if it means everything for a much longer time, it ought to very, at the very least, mean enough to say, okay, God, what can I do? How can I change? What do I need to adjust? Because that's what this process of being redeemed is growing in our faith and becoming who he wants us to be. Thankfully, he has a provision, right? Because we ain't quite, and I know that's not good English, we ain't. But we ain't what we should be all the time. And that's why we have the forgiveness offered to us through Jesus. And when we talk in a moment about communion, we all need that. Let's pray. Father, we are very grateful for all of the things that you have done for us. Lord, we confess our sins to you today. Lord, I confess the ways in which I have not proven or produced the right actions with my life. Help me, Lord, to do better. I pray that everyone who's here who has accepted the mercy offered to them through your son Jesus, would also seek forgiveness and redemption by applying your words. What if there's anyone who's watching this today who has never taken the step to receive your mercy and to declare with their life their allegiance to your son Jesus, I pray that they would make a commitment like that today. We ask this.